Good afternoon. I'm Pastor Fred, as Monica said. <laughs> Had to do it. Had to do it. Come on, Monica. Let's give it up for Monica. It's hard to do what she just did, right? Just in case. Yeah, we'll let you try. Yeah, it's not easy. Well done. You're doing a great job. Doing a good job. Hey, let me just, I got a couple of things I want to do before we get into the, into the message. One is, I just want to talk about, just, just briefly, about the ugliness that was happening in, in Charlottesville today. If, you know, it, there's, it, we can be overwhelmed, right, in the face of, of things like that. Can I just tell you, one of the greatest things that you can do in response to that is do some of the things that you just saw on the screen. That impact day, next Saturday, right? What, what, you, we, what we want to do as a city is not make room for that hate here. And the way that you not make room for that hate here is that you put a lot of love here because we believe in the power of displacement and what virtue can do. It keeps hate out. And so the regional worship night, the, the impact day on Saturday, I'm just telling you, if, 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 if it fired you up like it did for me, what you saw happening today, then put some love in this city. Father, I, I just pray for the people that call the 757 home. God, that you're gonna continue to inspire us to fill this city with your love so there's no room for the hate that the enemy would try to bring in Jesus' his name. Come on. And everybody said, amen. You know, I'll talk about uh, City Life just for a minute as well. We do a, uh, what we call a welcome weekend. We do them about four times a year, and there's another one of those coming up in the fall. Uh, but we've had so many people visiting for the summer. I just wanted to take a minute to talk a little bit about uh, who we are here as a church. And, and, uh, and one of the things that, that, that I love about this church is, is something that someone said recently in describing their experience here. And so before I tell you what that is, just to help you to, to get your brain moving in that direction, if, if you raise little ones or you've got little ones in your home now, what, what did you find to be the most challenging part of teaching them how to eat? You raise your hand and I'll point to you and you tell me what it is. Somebody, raise, Amy, you're, you're in the middle of it right now. Yeah. Putting the spoon in their mouth as opposed to their hair, their ear, on the floor, Jordan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the food that's on the spoon to get in the mouth. Too. Somebody else. Actually wanting to eat, right? At what point does that change for us, Cam, right? Because we need to have that problem, don't we? Chris, I love all of these hands that are popping up. They got littles. They're, they're doing it right now, Chris. Chewing and then swallowing, right? The idea of the order that those, right? Just not swallowing at whole. Just forging food in their mouth all at once. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, volume, right? Yeah, yeah. Saber. After you make them what they want to eat. Come on, get it out, Sabra, get it out, right? Not, not, that's so great. Not, not changing their mind if you didn't hear. After you've made what they've said they've wanted, you make that and then they want something different. Somebody on the side. Yeah, yeah, really. You, did you take grown kids God's way? No, I'm just kidding. Of course she did, right? It's about, it's about wills. It's not about the food. We teach that in a parenting class. Somebody else, anybody? Challenging part, teaching somebody to eat. Anybody over here? No takers? No takers? Let me see this, the picture. April's going to throw a picture up for us. Yeah. Some of those look familiar. Yeah, you were, you were into my notes because that's the one thing that I remember when we were teaching our little ones to eat that aren't so little anymore is that 
You don't have to put it all in your mouth at the same time, right? Our challenge wasn't, so we never had a, a throwing food problem. We never had a, an eating problem. We, the, for us, it was the, they were convinced that God gave them cheeks so that they could see how far they could stretch them, right? And so I, I love that picture up in the, in the upper right-hand corner when I see that little girl's face. The, what I think she's thinking is, I can get every one of these grapes into my mouth. Right, right. That's she's like it's a she's a future Joey Chestnut for the hot dog eating contest. Right, and, and so, right, the the children have this idea that if it tastes good, why should I stop? And and I want to get it all into my mouth right now. Right. It was a few weeks ago. Somebody was talking about being here at City Life, and and this is what they said. They said one of the things I love about City Life is when I leave here, I feel full. I feel full. And, and, I, and I love that because we want to be that kind of church. When you're here, we want you to feel like the mouth of your soul is too small to accommodate the appetite you now have for the things of God. Right? We want you to feel like the mouth of your soul is too small to accommodate the appetite you now have for the things of God. We want to awaken in you an appetite maybe you've never even had before for God's word, for worship, for prayer, for accountability, all these things that we call pathways. We don't want you to look at, at them as spiritual disciplines, even though that's what they are. We call them pathways because they take you somewhere. And where they take you is that they nourish your soul. And so when you leave here on Saturday night spiritually, we want you to look like this, right? We want you to look a little messy because you've just said to yourself, I, I want more of worship. I want more of God's word. I want more of everything you have for me. So Father, I pray for every person in here right now. Father, I pray that you would quicken by your power of your Holy Spirit, the appetites that they need to have for the things of God. I pray, Father, that, 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 that you would awaken them for the appetite that they need to have for your things that you know that you want to feed them with, Father, so they can grow and become the person that you've called and created them to be. In Christ's name, come on, and everybody said, amen. Amen. Well, let me do just a little bit of recap. As if you were here last week, you know we're talking about the Last Supper. We're talking about the meal that Jesus shared with his disciples that last Thursday night of his life and ministry here on earth before he gave his life for us and rose from the dead. And so last week we, we introduced this idea of, of, of the Last Supper being something that, that, that causes us to remember the Passover, which is the basis of our understanding for the Last Supper. And so if that's new for you, you can get that on the podcast. All the messages are on our website. We also upload our notes through PDF documents. And so if we move a little faster than what you would prefer, all those notes are readily available for you. We talked last week about we must be careful to not let sacred traditions lose their meaning. So many people are just going through the motions when it comes to the, the, the Lord's Supper or communion, which we do the first Saturday of every month. And so we want to be a church that keeps the meaning with the tradition. In 1 Corinthians 11, let me read these verses to you, 23, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. 23, for I pass on to you, this is the Apostle Paul writing, I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread. He gave thanks to God for it, and then he broke it into pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
And in the same way, he took the cup of wine and after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people in agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this and remember me as often as you drink it. Verse 26, for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. I shared this phrase with you last week, communion, the Lord's Supper. Maybe you're a Catholic background, the idea of Eucharist, which comes from an ancient word that means thanksgiving. The hope of every life hinges on what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. Without the cross, without Jesus' death and resurrection, our situation is hopeless. And it is because of us and our desperate need that the cross is the central, and our desperate need is, is the reason why the cross is the central moment in human history, the symbol of our salvation. Last week, we introduced you to this word propitiation and how we need to have a propitiation revelation. And so I've got a $15 Starbucks gift card for some brave soul. Come on, who here was, was here last week and, and would like to f- uh, uh, participate in giving us the definition of propitiation? Any takers? Come on, $15 Starbucks gift card right here waiting for you. Anybody? Vic, Vic's gonna try. Who said next? Saber was next, all right. Come on, that's perfect. She did it, perfect, nice. She said propitiation is is that when Jesus died for us, he satisfied God's appetite for wrath, right? Perfect. We talked about propitiation is not the punishment. It's what the punishment does. Well done, Vic. Come on. Come on. Future practice nine intern right here. Come on. Classes are starting out in the fall. She's getting ready to get married. Her and her husband are going to be doing practice nine together. So good. Come on. All right, Romans 3, 23, 26. For everyone has sinned, for we all fall short of of God's glorious standard, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. That's what Vic was just talking about. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past, for he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. So that's a little bit of a recap. So we we taught you last week the word propitiation, and then we spent some time on this idea of devotion right at the end, right? You've got to reach for it. We don't believe in universalism, which says that because Jesus died, now everybody experiences his his salvation. You've got to make a vow of devotion to Christ. You've got to reach for it to appropriate that salvation into your life. Tonight, I want to talk about the word justification. Somebody say justification. Justification, justification right? So we've got a lot of shun words. We've got propitiation, justification. So, so it wasn't too long ago, uh, I, was, I was coming into the house. I was outside. I was taking our trailer off of the truck, and I looked down, and on one of my favorite pairs of shorts, I had these two huge grease spots. It's like, come on, these are some of my favorite shorts, right? So I come in to the house and say, you know, I got this grease on my shorts. What, what can I put on there to, to, to get it out? And she said, how long have you had those shorts? And I said, well, you know, these are one of my favorite shorts. I got these when I went on a missions trip to Niger in 2009. They got the zip out legs, right? And, and, uh, and they were some of my favorite shorts. And this is what she said. She said, why don't you just get rid of them and we'll get some new ones. And I said, get behind me, Satan, right? Come on. 
How many of you have this dynamic? I'm the keeper and she, I'm the, like, she's throwing stuff away. I, I keep it forever. Anybody got that dynamic in your marriage? I know, hands are going up all over the place. Come on. We're praying for the salvation of their soul, Scotty, right? They would keep, keep things that are important, right? So I know that I'm on my own, right? I'm not getting any, any sympathy, any help for these favorite pair of shorts that, that I have. And so, right, we use Tide. And so I wash them with Tide. That didn't work. So then I went to the big guns, right? OxyClean, right? Anybody use OxyClean? There's not a whole lot that this one. I found this today when I was at the store. This is what I grew up on, right? I was born in 67. Spray and wash, this was, this was it back in the day. Played baseball and your mom was putting spray and wash on your, right, your baseball pants to get the grass stains out. I didn't even know they still made that. I don't even know why they still make that because now we have OxyClean, right? You can tell we have OxyClean, right? Didn't work. OxyClean didn't work. Tide didn't work. You know what works? And you know what always works? This, this stuff right here. This is right out of the New Testament, right? <laughs> it's been around for over 100 years. Has anybody never heard of Fels Naphtha before? Anybody not heard of this before, right? If you do not have a bar of this in your laundry room, you're missing out because I'm pretty sure that there's nothing that this won't get out, right? And this bar was what, like 79 cents? It's cheap, cheap. Fells, naphtha, grease, gone out of my shorts, much to Vanessa's dismay. She was like, please, Lord, keep that stain in there. I want him to throw away those shorts. She was interceding, but God, of course, heard my prayer over her prayer. And now those shorts are right back into the rotation, right? Right back into the rotation. So these right here at the end of the service, at the end of the service, if you want one of these, leave them up here for the, but first come, first serve. So, all right. So, so the problem with these, these products is you can't get them on the inside for the stains that really matter. Can't get them on the inside for the stains that really matter. We've got clothes that are important to us. We've got certain items and maybe there's memories that are attached to them. And so we work hard to keep them clean. And in this modern world that we live in, we have all of these different products that we can use for our wardrobe, but none of them as good as they are can deal with the stains in our soul. They don't work. Maybe you're thinking, well, Fred, I'm one of those people where, where I just, you know, I'm not so worried about stains on my clothes because I am just going to get rid of them and, and, and get new ones. That, that's fine, but you can't, with your City Life swag bag, you can't walk around with a soul in here that you can change into when you mess up yours, right? If you travel, I don't travel a bunch, but when I do, I take the clothes that I need and, and, and because, right, I'm this type A personality person, I take some backup, right? In case something happens to the clothes that I have, I need something that as, as, as a backup. You only get one soul. You can't reach in once you get yours all messed up and put a new one on. The one you've got is the only one that you're ever going to get. That's what justification is all about. It's about the cleansing that you and I are desperate for that's got to happen on the inside. Listen to Jeremiah 2, 22. No amount of soap or lye, right? Back in the day, soap was made with animal fat and then lye is something that you make from ash and they mix the two together, maybe put some fragrant oils in there back in Jeremiah's day. He's saying no amount of soap or lye, no Tide stick, no OxyClean, no fells, naphtha, you put it in here, can make you clean. 
I still see the stain of your guilt. I, the sovereign Lord, has spoken. The Bible is so filled with all these metaphors that we understand because it's our daily life. It's our daily existence. And he says to you and he says to me that when we do things we're not supposed to do, when we don't do things that we are supposed to do, the Bible calls it sin. And it puts a stain on the part of me that makes me special, the part of you that makes you unique, the part of you that's gonna live on forever even after these bodies give out they get stains on them and they need to be made clean. I love Isaiah 1, 18 says now, says come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, right? A stain that won't come out. I will make them white as snow. And though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. Isaiah and Jeremiah, even though they, they, they lived thousands of years ago, the Holy Spirit spoke through them to speak truth to us today that there is a way to deal with the stains that are deep inside. Maybe some of you came in here tonight and you've got more stains than you can count and you feel a little bit hopeless. You're despairing. Jesus has an answer for you here in this room. Justification is not just about covering up our sin, it's about cleansing us from them. If we think of justification as putting a patch over the stain so we don't see it anymore, we, we miss the understanding of justification. Sometimes I think our, 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 our thought process comes to this place of Jesus died for me on the cross, right? And last week was about propitiation. Now it's about justification. That, that, that through his death, it's, it's so he's hiding the sin that I have so that when Jesus sees me, he, he sees him. But that's, that's not really accurate. Right? There's a measure of truth in that, but it's not fully complete because it dismisses the whole biblical concept of justification, which is that you can't cleanse yourself. You need what Jesus did, but what he did on the cross actually has a cleansing effect on the eternal part of who you are. It gets the stains out. It doesn't just cover them up. Jesus didn't die for a cover-up. He died for a cleansing. And part of this idea of a cleansing isn't just to make you look better, it's to make you live better. And cleansing is about dealing with the desires that we have inside. So that as he begins to cleanse the stain on my soul from the sins of my life, it's about me feeling an erosion at the desire that caused me to want to do that thing to begin with so that I begin to have a new appetite for the things of God. For too many of us, myself included, we lived too many years just like those kids on that screen, but we were shoving our face with different stuff, the stuff that caused stains. God gave us an appetite deep inside, not because he wants to suppress it, but he wants to point it in the right direction. He wants those desires to now be for the things of God. And part of justification is this big word that the Bible uses to say to you and to say to me that the blood of Jesus Christ can get the stains out of my soul and the cleansing process of getting the stain out also begins to build in me new desires so I don't want to go back to that old way of living. It's not about a cover-up. It's about a cleansing Listen to Romans 5, verses 1 through 2. 
I'm going to read it out of the New King James, and I'm going to read these same verses out of the New Living Translation, which is a little bit more of a modern translation, but the New King James Version uses some of these words that we're trying to define tonight, and then the New Living Translation takes the actual word out and puts the definition in, which is one of the benefits of these modern translations that we use. Romans 5, 1 through 2 in the New King James Version, therefore having been justified by faith, right? We just talked about what justification is. Faith is this act of, I have to reach for it. I make a vow of devotion to Christ. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope for the glory of God. All right, now let me read that in the New Living Translation. Therefore, since we have been made right, been made right in God's sight, that's this definition of justification. There's a cleansing that happens by faith. We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. That's the concept of propitiation. Because of our faith, that's devotion. I have to reach for it. Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege. That's also part of the understanding of the definition of justification where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We need what Jesus did on the cross. God needs what Jesus did on the cross. That's what propitiation is about. We also need what Jesus did on the cross. That's what justification is about. Propitiation deals with the heart of God. Justification deals with the heart of man. Right? The judgment of God has to be satisfied. And we spent all of last week talking about that. Propitiation, it's all connected to Jesus' death and resurrection. Justification means that our heart needs some attention too. God's wrath needs to be dealt with, but you know what else needs to be dealt with? My desire. If, if all we have is propitiation and we never have justification, then we're just gonna find ourselves in this cycle, right? The wrath of God has been dealt with, but I'm just gonna find myself in this place. I'm just gonna be helpless in the face of sin and temptation, and I'm just gonna keep going after it over and over, and the stains just compile and build up and build up. Jesus says, no, no, no. I'm gonna satisfy God's heart, and I'm gonna deal with man's heart. Propitiation deals with God. Justification deals with us. Listen to these verses, Romans 5, 9 through 11. Since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. I love that idea of us being friends with God. The Bible talks a lot about sonship and, and, and daughtership and that's a powerful concept. But I like the idea of sonship and daughtership being married together with friendship because I know a lot of dysfunctional families where parents and children you can never change the reality that they're sons and daughters, but there's no friendship between them. God says, I want you to see yourself as my son and see yourself as, as, as my daughter, but I also want you to feel the relationship of friendship between us. There should be an exchange of affection. For some of you, you you've got brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and neighbors and co-workers and church members, right? All of these, these words that speak
speak to the formality of your relationship, but the question is, is there an exchange of affection that exists between the two of you? God just doesn't want to rename the formality of our relationships. He wants there to be an exchange of affection between us. And none of that would be possible without Jesus. This idea of justification, not only does it bring about a cleansing in our heart, the cleansing makes possible a new identity. So you have that piece of clothing, your favorite t-shirt. Something gets on it. Heaven forbid whatever that would be that fells naphtha can't even take care of it, right? Where does it go? It, it either goes into the rag basket. How many of you have a rag basket in your garage, right? Yeah. You know what we're going to find in there? We're going to find things that used to matter to you, Right? old dish towels, old towels that used to be the new towel that you came home from Kohl's on a Black Friday and we're all excited about, right? Now it's in the rag basket. I've got a certain stack of clothes on the shelf in my closet that that's what I reach to when, when I've got to change the oil in the car or when I'm going to go underneath the house, which I don't do a whole lot anymore because now I have teenage boys and I just direct them, right? Here, put this headlamp on and holler if you need anything, right? I'll be out here. So, right? But I have these clothes. You have clothes like that, right? Clothes that you reach for, that you put on where you don't care what happens to them anymore, because they're, they're so stained and they're so dirty. At some point, they crossed over from mattering to you to not mattering. So they're just in that pile. You've got a pile like that. I've got a pile like that. Our lives are like that before Jesus gets involved with us. Our view of ourselves is that we identify with the person that we used to be. And then all of a sudden, maybe we come into a room like this and we realize I don't have to be like that person anymore. Jesus came and died for me so that I could live the life that God created for me. Maybe you were here last week, you learned all about this idea that the wrath of God is dealt with through Jesus' death. And now you're back this week and you're learning about this big word justification, which means now he wants to change my heart. One of the reasons why he wants you to experience this cleansing is yes, to get rid of those stains. Yes, for the purpose of giving you new desires, but he wants to get rid of those stains because he doesn't want you to view your life like the t-shirt that's now in the rag bin. We have a tendency to identify with the failures of our past. And the enemy wants us to get stuck in that place of identifying with who we used to be, this idea where the Bible talks about falling short of the glory of God. Because if we over-identify with the sins of our past, then we lose our sense of identity as being his child who's supposed to also be his friend. Justification is, is a cleansing that also brings about a new identity. I've got ugly things in my past. I do. You've got ugly things in your past. You do. Jesus wants to cleanse your soul, your heart of those stains because he wants to see yourself as someone new. He, he does not give you amnesia in dealing with your past. And, and you know why he doesn't? Because the more you realize what your past was as you celebrate your new identity, right? It gives you even greater reason to celebrate the goodness of God to whom much is forgiven, right? Jesus said of the woman who was washing his feet with her hair. I want to be a person who loves much because I have a revelation of how much I've been forgiven. Not because I still see those stains inside of me, but because I still have the memory of who I used to be. 
and justification sets me free to become a new person with new desires and new hopes and a new identity as a child of God who has an exchange of an affection with my creator. Romans 4, 4 through 5 says this, when people work, their wages are not a gift. Right? When your boss shows up on Friday and says, I have a gift for you, you're not looking for him to give you the paycheck. Right? Because you're like, hey, that's not a gift. I, I just work for that. Maybe you, got, you get direct deposit every two weeks. When it shows up, you don't go, I got a gift today from work. What? My paycheck showed up. People are like, what? That's not a gift. It's a wage because you earned it. You deserve it. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. Justification isn't given to you and given to me because at some point we amass just enough good works in our life that we finally qualify for it. There's no amount of good that you can do to qualify for justification. It only comes through Christ. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. One of my early jobs was in the call center industry and, and, and I remember I was a supervisor and there was a, a one of my reps was, was, was frantic and came running back to me and said, I've got this lady on the, on, on the phone and I, I can't calm her down. And I, I said, well, what's, what's the matter? And she said, well, we, we, she went to the ATM to make a withdrawal and, and her receipt printed out that she had millions of dollars in her account. And so she's afraid that, right, that some, some drug lord is using her account, right, to launder money. This is a true story. This is a true story, right? And so, all right, we're, just tell her we're going to take care of it. You know, we're going we're to figure it out. And so, so it, we, we're able to tr track the transaction numbers and the payroll of a major corporation in the city of Richmond accidentally, somebody transposed the number and that payroll got deposited into her account, right? I'd be withdrawing money as fast as I can. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. For the church, for the church. I mean, give it to the church. <laughs> give it to the church, right? She was frantic, right? Now, now if, if your boss showed up, right, and gave you your boss's boss's paycheck, that's a gift because you didn't earn that. God gave you and me Jesus's wage. He gave us Jesus's wage. He has given to us what Jesus has earned through the perfection of his life. That's a gift. And it's undeserved. As good as you might be, and there's some people in this room, you are, you, you've done great, you've, you've lived a good life. It falls short. It's not enough. You and I, even on our best days, are desperate for what Jesus did for us. Our wage is all the same and it's always going to be death. Jesus's wage is life and he gave you what he earned for himself. Justification. Justification. Such a powerful word. Communion positions me to remember the Passover. The Passover gives me a revelation that Jesus is my propitiation. The punishment Jesus suffered appeased God's need for justice. So when I make a vow of devotion to Jesus, I'm reaching for him. 
having faith that his sacrifice saves me, and now my relationship with God is restored. The judgment of God is forever directed towards the cross, and I am the recipient of God's love and favor for all eternity, just as if I deserved it. He holds nothing back from me. Listen to Hebrews 10, 12 through 14. But our high priest, talking about Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all of time. There's no expiration date on what Jesus did. Good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who were being made holy. I love this verse in Revelation twenty-two thirteen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Now we could do a whole sermon series on that, but you know one thing it certainly means is that there is an eternal nature to his sacrifice. Even though he died 2,000 years ago, and that's a part of ancient history, it's a part of our present, and it will forever be part of the presence of history until he chooses to come back. It's just as if he died this morning for you. So many things for us, right? It's hard for us sometimes to grasp the power of spiritual things because we're so wrapped up in the human experience. And, and at some point, things that are old, they wear out. At some point, God forbid, my favorite Niger mission strip shorts are gonna be in the rag bin. God forbid, right? <laughs> but they're gonna wear out. They're gonna wear out. Our bodies, they wear out. This 50-year-old body is not the same as it was when it was 17. But things in this world, they wear out. Jesus, what he did for you, it doesn't wear out. It doesn't wear thin. It doesn't lose its power. It doesn't lose its impact. It's just as powerful now as if it were something that just happened this morning. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. And his sacrifice stands for all time, for all people throughout all of history to be the propitiation that satisfies the wrath of God, the justification that deals with the heart of man so that we can not just become his sons and daughters, so that we can become his friends. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back up. All right, I'm gonna take these. I gotta get off the stage, so make room for them. All right, here we go. How many of you have seen the movie Lion? Anybody seen that? Yeah. If you've not seen that movie, you gotta see that movie. Get a couple of boxes of tissues because you're gonna go through them. It's this, it's this powerful movie. And then in 1986, Saru was a five-year-old child in India of poor but happy, but a happy family living in the countryside. And on a trip with his brother, Saru soon finds himself alone and trapped in a moving decommissioned passenger train that takes him to Calcutta, 1,500 miles away from his home. He's five years old, true story. Now totally lost in an alien urban environment and too young to identify either himself or his home to the authorities, Saru struggles to survive as a street child, a child until he's sent to an orphanage. Soon, Saru is selected to be adopted by a family in Tasmania, which is just off the coast of Australia. 
where he grows up in a loving, prosperous home. However, for all his material good fortune, Saru finds himself plagued by his memories of his lost family. Now he's in his early 20s. And he tries to search for them, even as his guilt drives him to hide his quest from his adoptive parents and his girlfriend because he's afraid that he's going to be perceived as being ungrateful. Only when he has an epiphany does he realize not only the answers he needs, but also the steadfast love that is always he's had from his loved ones in this world. I'm telling you, if you've not seen this movie, it's based on a true story. It's phenomenal. Because in the story of Saru, we find the story of ourselves. That when you and I were born into this world, we were born into this life estranged from our Father. And something inside of us, from the moment we took our first breath, even before we understood it, there was a desire that began to well up inside of us that we needed to find our Father. We needed to be reunited with the one who has given us life. And for so many of us, we try to meet that desire. We try to fill that void with so many other stuff, like the kids that are stuffing our face with the wrong things because there's this burning desire to know him, to be his son, to be his daughter, to be his friend. Jesus Christ makes it possible for that reunion to happen. I'm not going to tell you what happens at the end of the movie. It's a happy ending, right? So you got to watch. It's so powerful. And the whole time you're watching it, you should be saying to yourself, this is my story. Even if it's not your journey in real life through the experience and the miracle of adoption, it's the true story of your spiritual journey that your father has made a way for you to come home. Romans 10, 9 through 13 says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what we've been talking about. And that word saved is such a big word. We spent two weeks unpacking it. For it is by believing in your heart that you were made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. As scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. All people are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Stand with me. I'm just going to invite you to close your eyes where you are. just want to create a moment of privacy for you in the room right now. So, so last week I asked you this question. As you look back into the story of your life, if you find a moment in time where you made a vow of devotion to Christ, we created an opportunity for you to do that. And so this week, I want to do something similar. And there's going to be people that are standing up here at the altar when we're done praying that you can come and talk with them if you raise your hand in just a minute. We're not going to ask you to do anything else. We're not that church that gets you to do four or five different things. And the next thing you know, you're in a room somewhere with strangers that you don't know. This is just between you and God. And if you want to pray with someone, you can do that in a few minutes. But this is what I want to ask you. As you look back into the story of your life, maybe you find a moment in time where you made a vow of devotion to Christ, but you did it because you thought other people wanted you to. Or maybe you did it and you didn't really understand what it was all about. But maybe you're here tonight and all of a sudden God's opening up your mind to this idea of what it means to know him as your father. And so what I'm, what I'm going to say to you is if you're here tonight and you're saying, you know what, I want to reach for Jesus again because now I understand what it means. I'm going to invite you to raise your hand. Just raise your hand where you are. Just this moment of privacy in this room. You would say, you know what, I've done it before, but I don't really under didn't understand what it was about. But I understand what it's about now and I want to begin afresh and anew. 
Come on, some hands are popping up here tonight. Come on, it's so good. Just linger in this moment. You can put your hand down if you've got it up. Father, I pray for every person that's here tonight who put that hand up. Father, I, I thank you for what you're doing in their heart. But I pray, Father, that in these next few moments as we go into this song, that they're going to find the courage to reach for you, maybe in a way that they've never reached for you before. They're going to find their way up here and pray with one of these people and they're going to be able to leave here tonight with a sense of confidence. Not only am I his daughter, not only am I his son, but I'm his friend because I understand what Jesus did for me. And tonight I want to make a vow of devotion to him. In Jesus' name, come on. And everybody said, amen. If you raised your hand, I'm telling you, there's people up here that are going to pray for you and I hope you come. Let's worship together. Thank you. 